we are united with Christ in his death on the cross and in his resurrection in this sense. That the same moral authority and the same supernatural power that rose Christ from the dead is at work in your life. And it's called grace. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bible, can you turn to Romans chapter 6 as we read verses 1 to 14. And it's on page 1753 of the church Bible. Page 1753, Romans chapter 6, reading verses 1 through 14. The Apostle Paul writes these words. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, we cannot die again Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Across the street from where I live are good friends. They have a wee one who is three and a half years old. And she is the absolute light of my life. And she will come and knock on my door and see if I want to play with her. And earlier this week, we spent about 25 minutes rolling around the floor with a Star Wars Mr. Potato Head, and we had great fun. 
Last Sunday morning, after the morning service, she recognizes her car. She came rushing across when Ruth pulled into the driveway. I was busy having lunch with the delegation of folks from China who were with us. And we know Gray's mum and dad well. The ben is a doctor. Uh, her mum is a gynaecologist. Excuse me, Ben is an engineer. Mum's a gynaecologist. And they visited Scotland on honeymoon about five years ago. And Miss Gray, we have no idea what led up to this, but she ran right up to Ruth and said, my mum and dad have visited Scotland. And Ruth said, yes, I know. And she said, and I was there too. Now, it's kind of hard when it was five years ago and you're only three and a half. And Ruth bent over almost looking for an explanation and she looked up with big eyes and she said, oh yes, I was in her uterus. Now, when your mum is a gynaecologist and you are three and a half years old, you will pick up medical terminology. It's as simple as that. That's just the way it goes. But I have to also confess, when Ruth mentioned this to mum and dad, they quickly reassured us that she wasn't. <laughs> now, this is what happens when you live across the road from the pastor. Your entire life is an open book, and that's just the way it is. Now, my point in telling you this story was this. Not only was it great fun and a blessing to us, but Miss Gray could not envisage a time in the life of her family where she didn't play a part in it. She knew she was in her mum's tummy before she was born and therefore assumed that she'd always been there. And what a wonderful, innocent thought that life couldn't possibly have been worth living until she was part and parcel of the family. Now, as we move this morning from Romans chapter 5 into Romans chapter 6, that is one of the themes that Paul picks up. He looks at what our life used to be before we came to know Christ. And then he looks at what our life is now and where our life should be going. And those are wonderful themes as we move from Romans chapter 5 into Romans chapter 6. Chapter 5, in some ways, is summarized at verse 21 when he writes this. Excuse me, the second part of verse 20. Chapter 5, 20. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now let me say that again because it's not easy to pick up. And it's a wonderful summary of chapter 5. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And as Paul enters into chapter 6, the passage we're now going to look at he asks a question. And the question relates to the end of chapter 5. If sin increased caused grace to increase all the more, chapter 6 begins with the question, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And then he responds, by no means. And Paul understood that from time to time, we will take theological and scriptural truth and we will twist it and change it and pervert it to suit our own logical thinking. And Paul is pushing back against those who would say, well, surely, as a Christian, I can live life any way I want. 
And if from time to time I sin, that really is okay. If from time to time I fall by the wayside and I don't get things right, and as long as I come back to him and say, Father, forgive me, an increase of sin will cause an increase in grace, and God will once again lavish his love and his grace upon us. So in fact, wherever in my life sin increases, grace will increase all the more. Can I just go around living any way I want? And that's why Paul pushes back and says, by no means. And what he's saying in these next three or four verses is this, that if you believe and are convinced that you can live any way you like, knowing that God will ultimately forgive you and lavish his love and his forgiveness on you, you have not yet understood the gospel. And in these 14 verses, he lays out the fundamental characteristics of the gospel, and he does it spectacularly. But the difficulty for you and I this morning in coming to chapter 6 is this, and I think a number of you have picked up on it already. And you may be sitting there saying, Richard, I tried to follow every word of the scripture passage, I tried to fully engage with what you were saying, but honestly, I got lost somewhere in the middle. It really was tough talking about baptisms and resurrections and united with Christ and put to death the old man and he was crucified for us and I, I got lost in the middle. But if you found yourself, if you are saying Richard chapter 6 so far has been confusing and convoluted, I would say to you, maybe so, because the Apostle Paul takes these wonderful truths and compresses them in tightly into these 14 verses. Now, he explains what does it mean to be a Christian. Come with me then to verse 2. Verse 1, should I keep on sinning so that grace may increase? And Paul pushes back and says, by no means. We died to sin, therefore how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Now let me pause right there and deal with it in two sections. Romans 2, 6, 2 on its own, we die to sin, how can we live in it any longer? What the Apostle Paul is saying is this, now when an individual comes to trust in Christ for their salvation, it's not simply that they give their life over to him. It's not simply a point of commitment. It absolutely is that and should be and ought to be that. It's not simply that we give our heart over to Christ. Absolutely is that. But something happens at a much deeper level, in a more profound sense, and it's this. That when God calls an individual to himself, that life changes. And it changes profoundly. Because the life you once lived, the life that was dead and blind and lost in sin, is no more. That's why it's termed born again. That's why Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it in all of its fullness. And he means by that this, 
that when an individual comes to faith, they are transformed from the inside out. They change. They have new appetites, new desires, new longing, a new heart, a new soul, a new mind, and worship becomes a priority for you. Prayer matters. The reading of the Scriptures is something you want to engage in and you become a new person in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. That's the essence of the gospel. And what Paul is saying here is this, that when a man or woman understands the wonder of the gospel, when their past is over and done with, and the sins of past years are utterly and totally forgiven and cleansed and wiped out, you become a new person. And the new person in Christ will not want to live the way they used to live. That's what he's saying. That's the point. I will not want to live under the dominion of sin. I will not treat sin casually. It matters in my life now, and I will live to honor him. And life becomes very different. And I will live that life in such a way that I will seek with all of my heart not to betray him, not to sin against him, but to love him and honor him and put him first in my life. That's what he's saying. We have died to sin, verse 2. How can we live in it any longer? That's the point he's making. And the gospel is so much more than a simple act of commitment. It involves that, but when Christ enters into a life, He gives us the resources, He makes us a new person, and He draws us into a deeper relationship with Him. And Paul, in order to make that point, takes it a step further. Verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We therefore were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's Paul's consistent theme. We take what we learn. We come to a new appreciation and a fresh understanding of the gospel. Then we apply it to our lives in order that we might live a new life. That's the point he's making. Now, let me say a word or two about what he means here with baptism. Next Sunday morning at all services, we will have baptisms taking place. And the point Paul is making here of our baptism is this. He's saying baptism signifies the impact of the gospel upon our lives. And whenever I stand here and have a wee one in my hands and I take the baby from mum and dad and I hold the baby over the font and I scoop up the water and I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that baptism is signifying the power of the gospel on the life of the individual, on us. It's a washing away. It signifies and is what? A picture of a washing away of the old life. The old is past and gone. That's the language Paul is using, metaphorically, but that's the language he's using. And then he moves on to death and burial 
and resurrection and new life. And he's saying your baptism speaks to all of that. It points you towards the impact the gospel has on us. It has cleansed the past. It has washed it away. And we as individuals, when the gospel impacts us, now live for Christ. That's the point he's making in this language. And then verse 5, and please hear this. I need you to get verse 5 and verse 6. It is absolutely fundamental and crucial in our understanding of this passage. And what does Paul say? If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, most of you are sitting there thinking, what? Let me explain if I can. Paul is saying this, that we have been united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And you are saying, Richard, how could that possibly be? We are 2,000 years beyond the life and death and resurrection of Christ. How could we possibly participate in it? In what, how on earth were we possibly united with him? Now look at the language again when he says, verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him the question is, how is that possible? Now, remember the Romans in the first century, A.D., around the year 49 or 50, when Paul was writing to them, they would be asking the same questions. They would be saying, but Paul, we're hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. How could we possibly be united in any way, shape, or form? Yet Paul says, we were crucified with him. What did he mean? He means this. And this is where I need you to get one of the most sublime theological truths in the entirety of the Scripture. And it is termed by theologians being united with Christ. The language is straightforward, but the implications are spectacular. And it's for this reason. We are united with Christ in his death on the cross and in his resurrection in this sense. That the same moral authority and the same supernatural power that rose Christ from the dead is at work in your life. And it's called grace. It's grace. The same power power that enabled Christ and called him from death to life is at work in your life when Christ called you to himself in the gospel. It's the same grace. It's the same gospel. It's the same power that brought you from spiritual death and blindness to new life in Christ. And understand what Paul is saying. And please do not misunderstand what I am saying. Because in your mind, I hope you are already saying, Richard, hold on, just slow down a little, make it clear for me. Is not the cross the very apex, the 
power, the climax of all of history? Absolutely. On the cross, did it not bring to fulfillment the eternal decrees and redemptive plan of God? Certainly it did. But understand this. The power of God at the cross and in the resurrection did not end there. It didn't stop there. That same power, that same gospel, that same grace is at work in our lives today. That's the point Paul is making. You are united with him through the same power of the gospel, both the moral power of the gospel and the supernatural power that brought death to life. And if we as Christian people are to live for Christ today, we absolutely dare not continue under the dominion and the power of sin and live as if we did not know him. That's the point Paul is making in these first few verses. And if he's making them in verses 1 through 8, he finishes verse, excuse me, verse 7 with, in fact, let's do all of verse 7, that we should no longer be slaves to sin living the way you once did because anyone has, who has died to sin has been freed from that sin. And that's the point I'm struggling to make. The point is this. We are no longer the people we once were. Sin no longer has dominion in our, in our lives. It no longer is our master. We are free from sin. That's the point. That's the point he's making. And then Paul, as he always does, applies it to us. And look at verse 8. Now if we died with Christ and died to sin, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again, no and death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And then he adds verse 11 spectacularly, in that same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey evil desires. Do not offer your bodies as to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. And what is Paul saying here? Simply this. The man or woman who has come to understand the gospel whose life has been transformed, no longer lives under the power, the dominion, and the tyranny of sin. And here's the good news for us this morning. And it's this. Because we are united with Christ through the power of the gospel, through the saving grace of God, we can resist it. We can resist it. We can stand up firmly to that sin and say, sit down. I live for Christ and Christ alone. And so this week, when sin comes knocking at your door, when it comes and lays out for you sin in all of its enticement, in all of its attraction, with all of its deception, 
How do you respond? You respond in this way. Father, there have been moments in my life when I have given in to sin. This for me is a besetting sin. It constantly comes. The devil knows my weak spots and I am constantly in defeat of this particular sin. Father, I stand in the power of the gospel. I take this sin and I hand it over to you. Give me the power to understand that I am no longer enslaved to it. It doesn't dominate my life anymore. I don't have to live under its dominion. It has no power over me because I am united with Christ. Father, take it, defeat it, and allow me, please, to live with you, going from one victory to another to another. That's where your focus belongs. That's where your concentration should be because you are free from the dominion of sin and it shall not have mastery over you because you are no longer who you were. You now live by grace and grace alone. Do you understand what he's saying here, beloved? We do not have to live under the fear and the threat of sin, but we live with him. That's the point Paul is making. And when you are in doubt, and when sin threatens to overwhelm you, and when you are at the threshold of giving in, and when you are fearful and uncertain, in your mind, pull back to your mind these words. Grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will see me home. Live in victory, beloved, no longer tyrannized by sin, but stand firm for him, because Christ is now your master, and he loves you with an everlasting love, and you are united to him. And when you get to that point, that's when things begin to change. And I cannot help but wonder if our prayer this week is this. Father, give me, please, the spiritual discernment to understand sin in all its power and magnitude. But more importantly, allow me, please, to understand grace with all its power and magnitude and gravitas, and to stand firm for you. That's the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the wonders of the gospel. Thank you that you came into this world, not simply that we might know you, but you came into our world to transform us and forgive us and strengthen us and enable us. And Father, we thank you for all that you mean to us and the strength that you bring to us. And Father, we recognize this of our Lord Jesus, that his love has no limits, his grace has no measure, 
His power has no boundary known unto men, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Father, bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Whatever you're facing, First Presbyterian Church would like to pray for you this week. Please leave your name and prayer request by calling 864-672-1838 or receive prayer in person. Details about this service are listed on your screen. To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org.